0: Texas talking.
1: Oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking. I'm gonna upside your head. Texas talking. Tell me who can you trust when Texas hides all that
2: Texas hides. Hello, this is George P. Bush, your next Texas Land
1: Commissioner and Chairman of the Texas Veterans Land Board, serving those who served their country. And now, here's your host, Reeve Hamilton.
0: Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the Tribcast for the first week of December. I'm joined by CEO and editor-in-chief Evan Smith.
1: You got George P. Bush for the intro. Pretty good.
0: It was tough. That
1: guy is hilarious, isn't he?
0: <laughs> I think I emailed and said, hey, would George P. Bush do this? And, and they said yes. who Gmail? you email? This is a communications person. I see. Now everyone knows the secret to oh, wow. getting the, the TripCast intro. <laughs> Reed Hamilton's
2: secret the sauce. The sausage right? being
1: made.
0: We're also joined by Executive Editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. And Reporter Terry Langford. Hi. And I think, Terry, you're going to kick us off by telling us who Scott Panetti is.
1: Nice to talk about an actual crazy person on the podcast as opposed to what normally happens. She's sitting right here. I didn't mean She's crazy. <laughs>
3: Scapinetti. <laughs> Scapinetti is uh, a death row inmate who's uh, been there since 1995 for the killing, the shooting deaths of his in-laws in 1992. He, there's no doubt that he did commit the crime, but he has a large body of history in the psychiatric institutions in the state. Um, before he committed the murders. So that's what's gotten all the attention right now. So he's, he's diagnosed
0: as schizophrenic when he was 20, right?
3: Right, in 1978. After serving less than a year in in the U.S. Navy, in which he got an honorable discharge, but that's less than a year is kind of interesting because the next year he's diagnosed.
0: Well, and... Obviously, listeners will know sort of how this all turned out unless they listen to this as soon as we put it up, because we're recording it on Wednesday morning. It'll go up on Wednesday afternoon. He is set to be executed Wednesday night. Right, currently. at 6 p.m. in Huntsville. Uh, and do we have any sense of whether or not that's actually going to happen at, at this time?
3: Uh, it, it is going forward as at this time. The Supreme There's, Court is still, still has, it. was still weighing it. We've got uh, another... Part of the appeal is in the Fifth Circuit, so it could come from either place. Perry could um, use his one 30-day reprieve, but that doesn't seem likely, but he only gets, you never know. He gets only one? He only gets one. One per case or one per year? One per case. It's not, it's not a game one show. One per year. Well, it's like t- it's, it's like, like <laughs> a life <lifeline>. Tim
1: Gunn <laughs> saving a contestant on Project Runway. You know,
3: a little bit
0: different. <laughs> a, little no, bit a little bit different.
1: different. He can delay it for
3: thirty.
0: In days. Evan and Evan Smith's Texas. Right. Everything right. is a game
1: right. show. Governor Tim Gunn. Yeah. You know, no, the idea. The of this, world I, that I, exists I, in
2: my I, head. I think the idea of this thirty-day delay is that if something's pending in the courts and the, and the only thing. Um, in the way, as a deadline, a governor can say, give it 30 days and, and let the courts play it out.
3: Correct. Um, the Board of Pardons and uh, Paroles have already recommended in a 7-0 to zero decision that they are not recommending a reprieve to the governor. And H- so- Has
1: there ever been a case where the governor has gone against the unanimous wishes of the boards of Board of Pardons and Paroles?
3: Why are you playing Stump Terry Langford today? That's really? another great, I, I mean, another great game show. I,
1: I don't know off the top of my head. I, you know, I,
2: I, I, don't, can't, I can't recall
3: one. I can't recall one either. But,
1: but yes, the, the reality is that the governor giving any governor, not just this governor, but any governor giving a reprieve in a case like this is itself rare. Right. So the odds of one having occurred completely contravening the wishes of the Board of Pardons and Prols, is unlikely.
3: Right. I, I. The only one that I remember – Recent history was Gary Graham, I think, Ann Richards
0: right. in '93. Right. Well, this is not. Uh, I mean, there's not new information has not come to light, correct? I mean, uh, sort of. New he's impor- as crazy as he's always been, right? Throughout but this whole it, thing.
3: it's bringing focus back to the Supreme Court said in an earlier Panetti appeal um, in, I believe, 2007, that mentally incompetent inmates should know what they're being executed for. And so there's sort of a a vague competency standard that was put out by the Supreme Court, but there's not really a standard. And so what his Panetti's attorneys are saying is he hasn't been assessed for competency in nearly seven years. Yes, he's been seen by prison mental health experts, but they haven't assessed his competency, which is a different type of exam. Um, You know, focusing mainly not on the fact that you're mentally ill or you're not. And according to the Texas prison system and the state of Texas, they don't believe he is. Um,
0: they don't believe he is competent?
3: They don't believe he's mentally ill. Ah. That He may be mentally ill, but he doesn't require mental health services, according to an affidavit that was filed by the attorney
0: general's office with the Supreme Court. So he represented himself and tried to call... He
3: represented John F. Kennedy as a witness. Yes. And it's not
0: mentally ill enough. And
3: Jesus Christ. He he, he called over 200 witnesses or tried to call over 200 witnesses. And if you look at some of the transcripts, to say it's rambling is an understatement. So Uh,
2: so the conservatives have – the conservative position – at least some conservatives have changed their position on this over the years. It used to be sort of the – The throwdown position was, you know, that they were for the death penalty and for tough law and order. And there are some conservatives who've come forward and said, in this case, right?
3: Right. And uh, there's the conservatives against the death penalty. Uh, Former Congressman Ron Paul has come out um, and asked that he not be executed. Um, There are several former, uh, there are several lawyers, several U.S. prosecutors who have all signed on. And, and, at, and who are
1: politically or ideologically not people playing to type. Right. Right. And, of course, we had in the last week or so, we had the um, the switch in position on the death penalty of the Republican Court, of criminal, uh, criminal, court of criminal Appeals judge. judge, Tom Price. And what did, what did he say?
3: He said um, <laughs> in a dissent it was part of the appeal that's now gone uh, – the defense attorneys for Panetti have now gone to the Supreme Court after the Court of Criminal Appeals last week – Said, no, Um, we're not going to stop it. Um, What happened was in the dissent, which is usually, you know, somewhat of a footnote in these cases, uh, Tom Price, who's been on the court for, I think, 18 years Uh, and a Republican out of Dallas, said, I think – I think the death penalty should be abolished. And then he left not only town, he left the country. We've been trying to get a hold of him ever since. And
1: he's not running for re-election. He is not. So it's not not exactly a profile in courage to uh, to not seek re-election and then to suddenly tell us, oh, by the way. No. But he's still on the court. But you have to to acknowledge the fact – you have to give the guy props at least for – not waiting until he was out of office.
3: Right. right. So it's very, very interesting. We'd like to know more. We've been trying to reach him. And and then, more about why and, and then more,
1: more broadly, <coughs> there are issues of criminal justice reform that have kind of squared the ideological circle. <clears throat> of late, the Mark Levin, uh, right on crime, Texas Public Policy Foundation wing of the party has actually been more – uh, uh, moderate or temperate right on these issues.
3: Right. I mean, the idea is, is that we've we keep filling prisons with with people. And this is costing money. This is not really doing anyone any good. And and <clears throat> so you have this sort of the right on crime um, wing who are saying, let's have total reform or we're not Putting everybody in prison for a every rare thing,
1: bi- or a moment of bipartisanship, right in in a state
2: that has well, not a whole lot. You're on. at a part in this cycle. I mean, the criminal justice thing cycles tends to, where you go from you know sort of a really tough on crime, you know, lock them up and throw away the key sort of uh, politics, which we had around the 1990s and then early 1990s in particular, and then you swing around to a well, maybe we ought to do some rehabilitation. Maybe we ought to back off on some of this stuff. We have a conservative governor who has said we shouldn't throw a kid in prison for the rest of his life for one joint. Maybe we ought to decriminalize But we've come a long way from Clady Williams talking
1: about busting rocks.
3: Right. And we've part got of the an attorney general who's about to become governor who has said, you know, DNA testing for right. these cases. I mean, is in support of that. So, I mean, we have come full circle.
0: What was the Clady Williams busting rocks reference for for listeners that might be my age or younger?
1: Well, when Clady Williams ran for governor, one of the famous Clady Williams campaign ads or slogans talked about uh, teaching taking criminals and kids them the, the joy of, of busting, busting rocks. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is back in the days when you know, like they made license plates and stuff. You know, this is pre-orange is the new black where jail was. I had, I had one
2: of those fun party. And fancy, and a big I one party. One summer jobs digging, digging sprinkler systems in El Paso. Busting rocks is not any fun. There's no joy. Were you in jail? No, <laughs> this
1: is this is turning into the Marshall Project podcast. Can we talk right. about something else? <laughs> well, one thing I, you know, we, I, mean, you, I like Maurice Chamas as much as the next guy, but
0: you, you know. do you you sort of get these buildups as like the execution approaches, and then Still sort of talking about it. the execution happens, and then it seems to just dissipate. Is there any sort of legs on this sort of the bipartisan discussion around this?
2: Around this case, maybe not. But around this issue, I think you know this whole this whole conversation about criminal justice is ongoing you've got people you know doing you know foxhole conversions like like Tom Price I mean you know I think there's probably something you know here I think you know the the legislatures coming in they're going to look at this kind of stuff and say you know should we change these things? is there a way we can save money on criminal justice and do good at the
1: same time I mean that's sort of the mentality right now you have a governor who is proposing if I read the Robert Garrett piece in the morning news this weekend correctly something like a billion three in spending initiatives, but intends to finance that not with increasing revenue, but with making adjustments to the current budget. And one area, as Ross correctly says, right. that some money could come out as if you do criminal justice reform that is meaningful enough to take some dollars and redirect them to some of these other programs. I, but, I think this is right. You know, Gardner-Selby will have to do a fact check on it. But I, I think that we
2: spend more per year on uh, somebody in, in Huntsville in prison than we do on a kid in college.
1: I, I'm certain that that's right. Uh, I'm, has to be right. I'm cost, convinced cost, that cost
2: we more do. to keep a prisoner than to keep a Yes. Student.
0: Well, uh, as long as we're talking about uh, spending, Ardner. spending oh, okay. at the legislature, and since Evan wants to move on, why don't we talk about the very exciting uh, issue of the spending cap that was set this week? So this, this is, week,
2: last week, yeah, this is the dull but important part of government. They said the legislative budget board set a number down this week that basically is the amount of growth that's going to be allowed in the state budget without a bunch of histrionics. And they, you know, The legislature is going to come in. They're going to write a budget. They'll start with the baseline, the budget that exists now. And the legislative budget board adopted, I think the number was 11.61 or 11.68, something like that. Um, the next budget can't be any bigger than 111% of the current budget. It only applies to a part of the budget. There's a lot of wiggling around in here. It only applies to a lot of the budget. But it basically sets down – it's the legislature snapping a leash on its own neck and saying don't spend any more well, than this amount. Well, for
1: instance, amount. the rainy – anything that might through whatever combination of voodoo and two-thirds of the House voting and right. – you know, That comes out of the rainy day fund, that is theoretically not subject to the spending cap.
2: Well, some of it is and some of right. it isn't. I mean there's a there's a bunch of ways to to mash the math around on this. There's a group of mostly conservatives who would like to limit government growth both by saying this applies to the whole budget and by saying the way to do this is to limit the growth in the budget over any two-year period to a number that corresponds to growth in inflation and growth in population. Uh, there's a group that says it should tie to personal income. There's a group that says it shouldn't right, be but, tied but at generally, all. But the generally, there's a, a view on it.
1: the conservative side of the spectrum that we shouldn't bust the spending cap, whatever happens. Right. And so, so you had Van Taylor and a bunch of other incoming state senators writing a piece to us. Did something just happen?
3: Yeah. Um, the Fifth Circuit has just issued a stay for Panetti. Just as we meant, sit here. As we sit here. So do we have to go back and re-record that. that whole thing? No.
1: No, because <laughs> the, because the issues are relevant.
3: <laughs> Reeve. <laughs>
1: It's all good. <laughs> so, so Panetti has stayed.
3: Uh, I'm looking for it right now. There you
1: go. Terry oh. is also staying. <laughs>
3: she's <laughs> she's, we,
2: she's
1: sitting
0: gonna, right here. So, what so were we saying? So
2: basically they drew a line and said, you know, we're not going to cross this line on spending. And and and, can they change
0: that line later if they decide they can they vote, want
2: to? A majority can vote to cross the line. They can just say we're going to – we to But even to cross the speaker the
1: has said he doesn't believe – Nobody wants to, to cross be the line. this. line. It's
2: politically dangerous, particularly in a Republican primary, to cross this line. And nobody wants to cross this line. And, you know, the whole purpose of setting this is so that the legislature can say spending did increase but only increased as much as the state did. So the budget grew with the state and didn't outgrow this – didn't didn't grow faster than the state. That's the argument that they'll make. Um, you know, they're going to have a lot of money this time. They have more money probably available to spend in the state budget then the spending cap allows them to spend, and then some of them want to spend. They've got a pending school finance lawsuit that's um, going to be in front of the Texas Supreme Court. Those are generally expensive enterprises. If the state loses them, it's lost so far. It's a good reason for the budgeteers to sit back and say, you know, let's hold some money back because the school finance thing might be a big deal. Let's hold some money back because we're not sure how long these oil and gla- gas plays are going to keep going. You know, the price of oil is falling. You know, there's a there's a yellow light there. Um, they've got they're they're putting in place all of the things that a person writing a budget would need to say to a supplicant, "I love you, but I'm not sure we have the money we need to hold it
1: back. and and yet the all the bragging about the success of the economy in Texas and about the shale boom, the price of oil notwithstanding would lead any individual in this state to believe that we finally have more money, if not enough money, to address some of the issues that have gone. Uh, lacking or wanting for a period of time. We have physical and social infrastructure investments that need to happen. We do have, as you say, this pending school finance lawsuit. We've got this concern about the affordability of college education and the fact that the state continues to cut its share of funding to higher ed or it's down from where it had been in Ten or twenty years ago, at least, right?
2: That's well. That's all based on if you think the state is not spending enough. Well, I mean but, a lot of people, but, a lot of people think that you know, just because you have the money, you shouldn't spend it. I mean, but there is but,
1: a but. But there, I would say there is a line of argument not coming out of the Democratic Party, but coming right. out of some quarters of the Republican Party. Hashtag Rhino, uh, <laughs> where uh, we need to finally step up and pay the bills required if you intend to be. A state that is indeed going to be first at everything, or a state that aspires to excellence, or you know exceptionalism, there are investments required to keep up right. with the growth that we're bragging about every day. A thousand people come to the state a day, and what have you. The resources that exist in the state are strained, and so if we have more money available to us, why are we not putting? money wisely as opposed to unwisely into some of those programs. Right. It's a really, you know, I mean, the Republicans right now are are a
2: price sensitive electorate. And, you know, they're starting to come forward, as you say, with some of these issues where you say, you know, I know you're price sensitive. I know we want to keep costs down. I know we want to keep limited government. But what about a road? What about some water? So, you know, that's where the tension is.
0: But the spending cap is not, they will not certainly even spend up to the spending cap.
1: Oh, I can't imagine that there's any money that they're going to leave on the
2: table. They'll leave a little bit of money on the table. Uh, They always write a budget or I say always. They often write a budget that is below the spending cap on the belief and, you know, it's sort of been substantiated over the last few years that over the two years that the budget actually progresses, things, happen. Some, things th- some things will be more expensive. You'll drop a bunch of money on the National Guard on the border, for but example, at the end or of the Health day, and Human Services will be will more be expensive spent. than you estimated. It will be spent. At the end of the day, it'll get spent.
1: It has to be spent. And, you know, there's going to be dis- a serious discussion about tax cuts. We already know that's happening. It's happening as we sit here. Right. There's a discussion about tweaking the margin tax this year. It could actually happen, and all this will have a, a, a consequence on how much money is available to, be, to, to go out the door.
0: Well, there's something else also happening as we sit here, which is uh, Perry's ongoing meetings with his uh, potential donors as he moves into his presidential race.
1: He's he's serious about this. The
0: you I think- fill us in on what's going on.
1: Last well, week. Ken Vogel of Politico over the weekend or at the end of last week scooped everybody in reporting that Perry was going to accelerate or amp up his uh, process of of um, meeting with prominent Republican activists and donors by bringing some – Number a couple hundred of them over a period of days to Austin You're this the week. 300, right? <laughs> right. Uh, we happened to office in a building where Perry's consultant, Jeff Miller, also offices. And if you were downstairs in a lobby at some point yesterday morning, you saw at least one stout-looking individual with an earpiece. It was assumed that that person was going to be the conduit into the building from the governor's mansion to Jeff Miller's office. Some of these folks who are coming to town to have... The Perry campaign's institutional eyelashes batted at them over right. 2016. And the fact is Governor Perry has carved out you know, a place in this race in part through external events and in part through his own reputation recovery effort where he is a plausible candidate – um, there were people who would have told you a year ago there was no way for Perry to recover from that problem of what happened in 2012. And, that and I there's think no... there's still
0: some people that will tell you that. Well, and in I fact, somebody – They're finding out right now somebody was how,
1: co- how many people feel that way in the institution. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody was quoted in the Ken Vogel piece as basically saying, yeah, no, <laughs> with regard to Perry's uh, attempt to get back into this in a serious way. On the other hand, you know, the, the Republican field is wide open. And if you look at the polls, and there was a big poll out in New Hampshire, a CNN poll, a national poll, and then there was a Bloomberg politics poll like last week in New Hampshire. Perry is not among the top three or four people, but he's certainly no worse off than, say, Ted Cruz in the polls. Nobody is taking Perry – any less seriously, I think, as a candidate than they're taking Cruz or taking Cruz more seriously than they're taking Perry based upon those poll numbers. But neither one of them is a top candidate. (laughs) Well, but that's not going to dissuade them from running. In other words, as I sit here today as I look at this and I think, are Perry and Cruz going to run? I think the answer is yes. Whether they're going to be successful or not remains to be seen. You know, Perry has a substantial
2: asset in this for about another six weeks, another five or six weeks, and that's the mansion. Um, you know, he can walk people through the mansion. He's the governor of Texas. Uh, you walk people through the mansion. You put them back in their cars. You send them over to Jeff Miller's office, and then you send them home. And you know, the you know one of the questions about the Perry campaign going forward is is he going to be able to raise the money and get the attention as a non as a former governor that he's been able to get that he was able to get a couple of years ago as a sitting governor you and can't
0: just call a press conference and everyone have right. everyone come running have everybody he, out to on round
1: top where they're apparently
2: moving for pie
0: he, at royer's i'm not he, really sure that's how, is how this he still is and work.
1: i
2: think this is going to be one of the tests of this thing is he still on the shelf with you know today's products or is he on the day old bread shelf is it you know is, when you go through talking Sometimes to these,
0: those are good deals though
2: yeah. Uh, when you go through these institutional donors and thinkers and people, you know, is Perry still on the list? And then when you get in front of voters, is Perry still on the list? And those are really the big question marks over him as a presidential candidate going forward.
1: I met somebody yesterday. Um, Congratulations. Who no- you're welcome. <laughs> I do get out occasionally, Reeve, um, who knows both Cruz and Perry somewhat. And he described the difference in them to me this way. Cruz comes to your house, he walks past everybody and into the business part of the house. If Perry comes in, he kisses the maid and shakes hands with the cook. The idea was that So crew, it's that kind of a house. It is. And <laughs> at yeah. Cruz, I only see those kind of people, Ross. I don't know who you're hanging I, around I, with. I always kiss the cook at my house um, i married to her. Yeah. It's, it's, it works out nicely for you, I'm sure. Um, so what do you do to the, the maid, I- then? <laughs> the idea was <laughs> that... <laughs> Come on. The idea was that uh, uh, Cruz is an exceptional wholesale politician and that Perry's disposition is more in the realm of retail politics.
0: Yeah, but nobody has ever said that they seem like they're very similar politically. I'm I'm here to tell you you
1: at the risk of making the mistake that I seem to have made the last time that I look at Perry getting into this race and I do see a path for somebody with Perry's particular set of skills. You know, Perry plays really well from behind.
2: Perry, um, his his big mistake last time, his famous mistake was oops, but the actual mistake that that hit him in the polls and hurt him with voters in states – that aren't on the Mexican border was the conversation about um, the Dream Act and, and tuition and HPV and lynching Ben Bernanke. And right, and is he a true conservative? So yeah, he, you know, he if really he can,
0: dropped off after the, if he can, the heartless can, comment. Right,
2: yeah. if, if he can overcome those things and if he if he's right about you know this line that he keeps using about people giving. Uh politicians a second chance. That's actually, you know, the, how many train wrecks have we seen where the you know the survivors came out and got elected president? You know, I that come back, a lot. but I come and, back and to I, this And I think qu- Evan's right. I think that I think that Perry is if I'm if I'm another candidate in this race, Perry's a dangerous competitor. I,
1: I come back to the, what I said originally, which is that there's a, a wide open field. I think if Jeb Bush doesn't run, Perry's path is a more interesting path. If Jeb Bush does run, one problem Perry's going to have is that a bunch of the Texas money is going to go to Jeb Bush. Now, that money may not go to Perry regardless because, you know, Bush world and Perry world, no likey. Right. There's but a lot I, of crossover donors. But I donors, think there's though. some crossover donors, and I do think that
0: – And it's still an open question who our intro or will be endorsing ultimately.
1: <laughs> you, you went there. I did not. I'm trying to recover my reputation and relationship with him, so I'm not going to make any more <laughs> – don't endorse your dad jokes.
0: Uh, well, but if, if things are going to change – for Perry, when he leaves the governor's mansion, how are things going to change for Abbott when he enters the governor's mansion? And he is today, we believe, announcing a lawsuit against Obama. One more for the road. He's kind yeah. of announced
2: himself as a one-tool player. I mean, he's this is the guy who said, "I get up, I go to so work." You're saying I Greg the, Abbott is a tool? Is that what you uh, said? It, no, I'm not. I'm uh, it, you know, he he gets up, he goes to work, he sues the uh, federal government, and he goes home. He's not going to be able to do that anymore. When he's the you know, when he's the governor, he has to, he not only can't sue, he has to urge the attorney general to sue, and has to, um, you know, he has to find some other tools. So this is the last time he's going to be able to do this. He's going to come in, he's going to, you know, do this lawsuit over the executive action on immigration, and He's going to meet with the president, which ought to be sort of, you know, oh, to be a fly on
0: the wall, right? But do you think it will be any different this time than if they had met any other time? It's not like he hasn't sued Obama before.
2: I don't know. I mean, you know, and the thing that we're watching here and that we'll be watching for a while is how does Greg Abbott develop another set of tools when he's governor? You know, you no longer can sue. You're going to have to ask Ken Paxton to take care of that for you. And the thing that has been your sort of your primary weapon is gone. So now you, but you, but you're a governor now. You have some other weapons. How's he going to develop into this? Right now, he's still acting. You know, you're thinking. You know, we're thinking of him as a governor elect. He's acting as an attorney general here, not as a governor elect.
0: Well, and even when he gets into the governor's office, he won't immediately have the tools that we think of uh, Perry having. I mean, Perry has built up this sort of powerful governor's office, but that took years.
2: Right. You know, they don't have a cabinet form of government, so you don't necessarily, when you're governor, have control of the executive branch you get to appoint everybody but they're not accountable to you and Perry over time as you say has been you know he's gone through the whole list of appointments two and a third times it cycles every six years he's been there 14 years and most of the top management of most of the executive agencies are people who are either former direct employees of Perry or you know Beholden to them, yeah, Perry's no, been able to call all the executive branch and to to manipulate it as if it was a cabinet form of government and as if they all answered to a chief executive. That's not really historically the way it works.
0: Right. It seems like in the last few years, there's sort of a three month cycle where you get to be his chief of staff and then you get to go run a commission somewhere.
2: <laughs> yeah, they've yeah, they've all been burrowing in. You know, yeah. there are Perry people getting planted all over the place.
0: Well. Uh, Listeners obviously can't see this, but Evan and Terry have both left us. They just got tired of us. (laughs) It happens every now and then. So I guess we'll just bring it to a close now that we've been abandoned. All right. Uh, If people have questions and comments, they can email tribcast at texastribune.org. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. Uh, do you have anything you want to say about Evan and Terry since they're not here you can finally sort of speak your truth now here in the orphanage we'll be just quiet all right well on behalf of uh, Ross and our producer Todd and Evan and Terry in absentia this is Reeve thanks for listening so cool. can we kill some time on the spending cap Good Lord, sure.